Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Greetings, everyone, from the woods up here in northern lower Michigan. If I'm going to be precise about it at this point, which I think I should. Yeah, we're here. We're in Jerome'stown, and after precisely one day or... 13 hours of laborious labor. (laughs) I have two tents, some nice cushy couch-like pool furniture, a big old stack of wood, tiki torches, some new cedar wood chips, and uh, epic vibes in the woods. I slept out here last night in a very small tent. I got my an old old one person or one and a half person tent threw it up because I arrived here to a house full of people and uh, just needed to get something up before it got dark and so that's what I did and uh, I didn't get much sleep last night I'm not gonna lie you know the cushy lovely bunk on Sparrow has spoiled me it's uh it spoiled me into not really uh, being all that comfortable sleeping on the dirt. <laughs> Although I did finally, when I managed to go to sleep, I, I hit it pretty hard. So that's, that's pretty good. But tonight, uh, we had, uh, some more festivities and everything after quite a long day. <clears throat> oh man. And I, I finally had to bow out because I'm just, I am exhausted. And that's, that's what this one, uh, sort of centers around exhaustion, uh, because that's where I am. And, as much as exhaustion sometimes doesn't feel good, it feels pretty good right now, at least after after being able to sit in what uh, caused that exhaustion <clears throat> and feel pretty pretty good about it. Mm. Oh, man. What a day. <clears throat> this will be the fourth iteration of Jerome's Town with the tents and the platforms and all that. And it is such a nice place, but it'll never be the same. Not as uh, not like the first year, the inaugural year, which took place in 2018, directly after my trip around the world. And I had sort of plotted and planned the outline and the footprint of this place. Uh, I already knew where it was because I, I used to use this as sort of a little camp, you know, if I was up here for the summer and... Couldn't quite get away to the uh, great expanses of wilderness in the UP, Upper Peninsula, for non-Michigan folk. Then uh, I'd escape off to these woods. You know, we've we've uh, we've we've been out here since the '90s, early '90s, and uh, and there's it's old farm fields and and all that sort of stuff. What you would call wasteland, so to speak, uh, where you have lakefront property sort of all around our area but uh we're sort of in the middle of it which is great because it means you don't have any neighbors and the land was cheap pretty much still is actually oh i can hear a deer snorting away huh gosh i love being out in the woods i've forgotten i've forgotten what it's like you know being in that boatyard 
where the only wildlife you see are a couple of groundhogs and murder kitty running around trying to trying to kill them. <laughs> That's pretty much it. And I guess I guess you could consider uh, when you see Murphy rolling out to go lobstering at uh, 5 a.m. after a, a long night, a joyous long night, uh, it's... That's like a wild beast. That's like a Sasquatch sighting. Love you, bud. Miss you already. Only been gone a day and a half, and I already miss Murph. And all all the, the rest of the crew out there at Night Marine. Big shout-out to them because, man, oh, man, when you uh, when you get accepted into a family like that, there's, there's nothing else left to do but uh, just be thankful that you're included. And, ah, getting a bit nostalgic. Nah, I don't want to get too nostalgic right now. I want to. I want to focus on the exhaustion thing because it really is. Uh, I you know it, even the word exhaustion sounds like sort of negative, but I don't think it is. I've always sort of taken that as a positive. I mean, I know when I finally finish this recording and I hop into my queen size blow up mattress and lay my head on that pillow and blink off into sleep pretty much immediately. It is going to feel so good, and uh, part of it, I sort of started getting a little tired right after dinner, and I don't know. I mean, I, obviously, I, I've been up for pretty much the whole day, pretty early, and just went gung-ho, because it takes one day to set this place up and one day to take it down uh, if you're moving pretty fast and you just don't get distracted by anything else, and... If I'm going to be up here for more than two weeks, then I'll always set it up because it's definitely worth it at that point. But I kind of took a pause and I, I thought about, I don't know, the, the weeks and the uh, all the time leading up to, uh, you know, the week with, with Lobster, Lobster Fest, the volunteering there, and then just the work at the yard trying to sort of leave it leave it in as best a shape as possible. I've always felt that way when you're when you're going to take a hiatus from your job. You always want to make sure you're giving it the extra juice to uh, sort of leave on that high note and hopefully come back when it's not quite so great and then you can fix it all back up and get a little recognition that way. Ooh, top tip right there. <laughs> I don't know. If you can't tell, I'm already a little loopy. Well, who knows? Who knows? But, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's something about that. And I get that out when I'm sailing as well. Um, you get the exhaustion of having to stay up all night and uh, change sails during all the squalls and, and deal with that stuff. And at the moment, you know, there's nothing that makes you a little more aggravated than, than not being able to hop in your bunk. But then five, six, ten hours later, when you finally do and you are absolutely exhausted, it's one of the greatest feelings. I mean, I sometimes, sometimes it's literally such a great feeling. I have trouble going to sleep because I'm just so happy to be horizontal and uh, comfortable after being wet, cold, and and running around and all that sort of stuff on the boat. And that's that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. And I just wanted to share that with my listeners. It's uh, I don't know. It's it's just been a wild ride. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, for the last week or two, work and everything in the yard, uh, the friendships and all the the dramas and everything that go into that, uh, sort of compiling with 
the podcast and the new the new content on YouTube and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. It's it's uh, there's a lot. I like to say there's a lot of irons in the fire, and I'm definitely enjoying it. But sometimes if uh, if I consider all of it, it's a little too overwhelming, and I feel like holy cow, am I be able to keep going? But when I compartmentalize a little bit and uh, shrink my scope, as I like to say, because <clears throat> that that was definitely something that helped me on the big trip, not freak out. And, uh, you know, if you're sitting there thinking about Cape Horn when you're in the North Atlantic, it's, it's not really going to do you any good. But if you're headed towards Cape Horn eventually, then that's what you think about. But it wasn't until I started shrinking my scope down to one ocean at a time that suddenly the anxiety and the pressure and the stress and the worry disappeared. And, I don't know. That's that's I think what I'm trying to do with with all this stuff because I am man, I am really enjoying this podcast. I'm enjoying just sitting down and being able to talk and sort of express my ideas even even by myself because I you know, the listeners, you guys have been just fantastic. Uh I get a lot of emails of people saying, "Hey, you know, don't even worry about it. You don't need to constantly have people on the show, just the rambling and all that stuff. And eh, some some might agree, some might disagree, but it's nice to know that there's not that pressure because, boy, it is so hard. I, oh, man, you know, and I, I, I have to put it in their heads because I do remember the first time I did a podcast for someone else and I was so nervous. I just, I, and it, you know, I... But so I understand it, but boy, I, I try as, as best as I can to, to grab people, but it's, it's pretty hard. And, uh, I know we've got, we've got old Svenny. He's, he's going to be up, uh, probably tomorrow, which I'm pretty excited about. He's, uh, he actually has his own theme and stuff. He, Sven gets so excited about doing these podcasts because he's an avid consumer of podcasts. Lex Friedman, uh, I think is his favorite, Tim Dillon. Uh, he started out with Joe Rogan stuff, Jimmy Dore, all that. But I think Lex is his big one at this point, and uh, rightfully so because his his podcasts are absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal. And uh, I think part of him sort of feels like he's he's sort of here with Lex Friedman now when he's sitting here talking to me. Oh man, who knows? Who knows? But I, I'm looking forward to it. He's, he's, he has been plotting and planning. I told him, you know, no pressure because we're gonna, we're probably gonna do two shows. I'll bank one for later um, because I like to spread those out a little bit. But he wants to. He's got some ideas in his head, and I, like I said before, I'm gonna just let him off the chain and let him go for it because he's, uh, he's brilliant. He really is. He's, he's so entertaining. I'm gonna try and get him to talk about his. Uh, no, I'm not even gonna say that. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to go in that. But in any event, um, yeah. So wow, I am, <laughs> I am so tired. But I did get, uh, I, I got some, some emails today, and, and there's one in particular that I want to get into, for sure, and that uh, has to do with sailing, technique, and all that sort of stuff, and it has to do with. Uh, it has to do with reefing, or not reefing, sorry. Uh, it has to do with, uh, man, it's so hard for me to actually uh, look at a phone, do-do-do-do-do, and then at the same time try to talk into this. Okay, there we go. 
Here we go. It's from a guy named Steven. And uh, remember, I always I always go for the just first name anonymity because the internet's kind of a weird place. And I, I that's the one thing I, I would hate for something I say or something someone else says to all of a sudden get back to someone. And, you know, you see those stories of people getting shamed and all that. Not that anything's really controversial or anything, but just the threat is there if somebody takes it the wrong way. So that's why I always go with just those first names. Because all the people that I have on this podcast and the people I talk to, they're they're not in it to try and sell something or, or anything like that. So they typically just want to do first name. And that's perfect. That keeps them safe, sound, and uh, out of the public eye. But uh, in any event, uh, is basically about going hove to and essentially what that is, what the sales are, just explaining it a bit more. And that's something I'm absolutely delighted to sit and, and talk about before I crash out on my, uh, on my little bed over there. <laughs> so hove to is a sailing technique that involves no trailing of drogues, lines, or anything like that. There are techniques that that imply or uh, include those sort of tactics where you do have a pair, uh, you know, sea anchor or a drogue or something like that to use. But in my experience, because I've never actually done that, I've only read about it, it's using pretty much what you have on the boat in the boat. So you're using your sails, you're using your rudder and tiller, and you're using essentially the keel or the shape of the hull to not necessarily completely stop the boat, but stall the boat, I think is a better word for it. And I actually don't really even quite do that. I I have toyed with uh, about 30 variations of trying to figure out how to actually stop Sparrow, completely dead stop, so we're side-slipping and creating what's considered to be like a slick of calm water, which in, in certain wave conditions can actually cause the breaking waves to sort of round off and just slip underneath you. But essentially what you're, what you're trying to do is stall the boat but unlike being bare poles and lying a hull where you just sort of lash the tiller in the middle, you don't have any sail up, and the boat naturally sits beam to the seas or beam to the wind, and you just take it. Uh, when you're hove to, because you have a little bit of sail up, there's pressure, and typically a little bit of pressure has the side effect of of giving you a little bit of stability and keeping the boat, uh, I don't know, keeping the boat from rolling like crazy and all that sort of stuff. And that's why typically when it's described, you know, people go hove to when it gets rough because, you know, they go hove to to make some dinner, make some coffee or get, get some sleep because it's more of a comfortable ride. And again, this, this all typically has to do with the conditions, because when it's when it's raging hell on earth out on the ocean, you know that's that's a survival sort of thing, which hove two can actually come in into handy with. Uh, but from my experience, typically what I do, and again I have an Aries wind vane on the back, and I am in in that that actually gets worked into the equation uh, rather than just disconnect that and and 
lash the tiller down, but essentially, uh, depending on the wind strength, I have a small, small sail on the staysail stay. So for a cutter rig, that's, you know, the, the inner stay, inner fore stay. And then I have my main sail typically reefed pretty far down. So I've got a small amount of sail. The jib or the storm jib or the staysail is going to be back winded. So it is sheeted in to the windward side of the boat. So the side that the wind is coming over first. And then the mainsail is cranked almost all the way in tight to the center, maybe just a little bit off. And uh, you force the tiller over to the leeward side or the downwind side of the boat. And essentially what happens. The main gets a little bit of power in it, and the boat moves forward just a touch. But because the tiller is over to leeward, the boat wants to turn into the wind when it moves forward. But as it rounds up a little bit into the wind, the pressure on that that jib or the staysail, because it's on the wrong side of the boat, pushes the bow back down. And essentially, when everything is fine-tuned and just right... It's not like the boat's rounding up and coming down, rounding up and coming down. No, the boat sort of holds its position. And ideally, as far as I'm concerned and in my experience, that's the goal of being hove to. And when you are tweaking and tuning it, you're essentially trying to either increase or decrease the speed that the boat is actually doing. And if you want to create the slick To sort of calm the waves that are just upwind of you, you essentially want the boat to be almost completely stopped. Uh, I tend to prefer that the boat is actually moving at about a knot, and that allows, I think, in my experience again, it allows for the boat to sort of point a little higher into the wind, maybe 60 degrees, 70 degrees, and take some of the breaking seas more on the bow and less on the beam, which is still loud and scary and crazy when it, when it gets really breaking. But at the same time, it, uh, that's a strong, strong part of the boat. It can take it. Uh, and that's, that's sort of my goal. And a lot of times I do that by just easing the mainsail out a little bit. And I have a nice long traveler on the boat, so I can either do it that way or I can just ease the mainsail out with the main sheet. The only problem with that, sometimes it creates so much twist in the sail because I don't have a boom vang that you can get some luffing action and vibration and all that sort of stuff. Because again, you know, Hove 2, you're trying to get the boat to be comfortable, quiet, uh, as you as best you can in those conditions so that you can either sleep or eat or just just sort of escape escape the situation that you found yourself in i mean um but yeah i mean typically let's let's just say for instance oh oh sorry before we we do a, a scenario so to speak um mongo so mongo comes into play typically when mongo's wind blade uh is up in the air you want it straight up and down uh, right into the wind sort of thing and that keeps the hydro blade the the rudder blade for the wind vane right in the center and so the tiller would be in the center and all I do is I disconnect it and then I I disconnect the control lines and then I put the tiller hard over and then I reconnect them so that Mongo thinks 
the tiller should be in the center. So it's acting like the tiller's in the center, but the tiller is way down to leeward. And essentially that just keeps it going. And I, I kind of feel like Mongo is so experienced <laughs> at this point that uh, he can just sort of, it helps to actually keep the boat on track a little bit more. I have had issues in the past where the tiller starts banging against the boomkin or something like that, and uh, and then I just have to tune it up a little bit and pull a little more into windward. But you know that's that's just another thing you have to add. You can just forego the whole wind vane thing and lash the tiller down to leeward and just leave it there, and it's good to go. Uh, but I just incorporate Mongo because that's the way I've always done it. And essentially, yeah, it's worked out pretty well. One of the tough situations that I found myself in uh, going through Wanda was just that the the waves had sort of built up so quickly. They were steep, and we were just plunging off of them, and there wasn't really a whole lot I could do, mostly because that that whole thing happened in the middle of the night, and it's dark, and whenever it's dark and that's going on, everything seems a little scarier. You don't really know. You can't see too much. You sort of want to play it safe, or at least I did that night. And uh, I figured Sparrow could just take the beating and and make it through. Plus, I didn't even know it was actually that much of a beating. I mean, there wasn't. It wasn't like a, a bell was ringing every single time the the bowsprit was taking a serious blow. But uh, it's one of those things where few modifications and probably wouldn't have been a problem. Or if you have a boat that doesn't have a bowsprit on it, you know, you're just going to be plunging up and down into those, into those waves. But <clears throat> yeah, essentially that, that's sort of the sail, uh, the sail plan that I go with. And again, it's all dependent on the wind. If, if it's sort of a situation where you just want to hove to for a few hours until the wind shift comes or something like that and it's blowing 20, 25. Yeah, you might have a staysail and second reef in the main. As long as it's balanced, you're good to go. If it's blowing 45 and you're doing the same thing, just waiting, then yeah, you probably have a storm jib and a triple reefed main. Uh, I know in Wanda, the winds were definitely up in the 50 knot range and I was down to my small storm jib triple reefed main and we were healed way over <laughs> kind of scarily over but uh you know again it was the middle of the night and that was only for a little bit when the eye wall sort of approached and went through it and then and then the wind all died and the mainsail's like slatting away for about 15 20 minutes until the other side hit but uh I don't know. It's amazing how, because you got to remember that when that boat does heel over, the more it heels over, the more wind it's spilling off of those sails and less effective the sails become. And so that has to be sort of taken into account. But uh, yeah, so that's, that's sort of the sail plan that I typically go with. And uh, it's usually pretty easy and it keeps me off of the deck. And I like to sort of go a little overboard. I think I would accept a little more rolling uh, for a little less sail area in case you get some big squalls and big gusts rolling in rather than uh, the opposite of having a little too much sail up and there's a little too much pressure on the rig. But in the lulls, you're actually maintaining pretty well. 
Uh, so, so essentially that's, that's typically what I do in Sparrow. Yeah. Like I said, it moves at about a, a knot. And, uh, if I find that I need to speed up a little bit, I can just ease that main out a bit. Or if I want to slow it down some more, I might sheet that main in even harder. And, uh, and that typically balances the boat out pretty well to just sort of hang loose, take the seas right on the, uh, Right on the quarter of the bow. No, that's not the right way to say it. Uh, off of, you know, at a good angle off the bow. And uh, and you can ride out pretty much anything and everything that the sea's going to throw at you. And uh, so that's what I do. And other than that, I don't know. It, it seemed to work in so many different situations and so many different sea types. I, I think one of the worst situations that I had where Hove 2 was sort of the way to go a long time ago, 2000. Holy smokes, it would have been the fall of 2018. So after after repairing things and getting everything ready from the trip around the world, uh, I was headed from Maine down to Charleston, South Carolina, to do a few talks and ended up, I think it was in November I had left. So it was already a bit of a late start. And I took off and I just went straight south, southeast, headed, you know, north of George's Bank and then wanted to get past the Gulf Stream. And as I approached the Gulf Stream, uh, a pretty severe southwesterly gale kicked up and it was blowing really hard right on the coast. And it sort of eased off as it got further out. But pretty good 35 to 45 knot winds sustained for three days and right out of the direction that I needed to go and I went just hove to once it got up to a certain point and I wasn't able to really head any semblance of like due south just went hove to and it lasted for three days um and I essentially kept pointed away out to the east to sort of put more distance between me and the more severe uh, wind conditions and wave conditions. And man, it was, it was like a waiting game because you, there's a lot of action when you're actually doing, doing sail changes and getting everything sorted. And, you know, it may take a couple of hours just to really get everything good and dialed in. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the seas and the wind, they're constant and they're blowing hard and it's, it's pretty intense but then the moment you get things dialed in when you're hove too, all of a sudden it just is like, okay, well, now you just have to wait and you sort of just watch and you hope that nothing breaks. But typically if you're doing it right and your equipment's good, then nothing's going to break, but now you do have to wait. And I remember getting through the first day and I was able to somehow download the weather Cause it's a little difficult on Sparrow using a sat phone and a computer when the boat's just going crazy and it's getting disconnected, all this sort of stuff. But I remember downloading the weather the next day after 24 hours and not really sure, you know, hoping that it was going to end soon so that I could get on my merry way. And then seeing that I had at least another two days and I'm thinking to myself, Oh geez, another 48 hours Hove to, uh, just basically not, not really moving all that fast, you know, 25, 30 miles in a day. It's 
So I'm like 60 more miles. Um, and actually, I believe I was in the Gulf Stream or close to it at that point. And so I was actually getting swept further and further out to sea. Because really, if I wanted to go from Maine to Charleston, the, the track would be essentially like southwest. And I'm essentially heading more almost almost due east, but like southeast. So I'm just getting further away from the coast. And make it through the second day, download the weather again, and see that I still have another day, possibly even day and a half. Same conditions, nothing's changing. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, after you're sitting there, because there just isn't a whole lot to do. You know, you're not out and about on the deck very much, except for just a quick check now and again. You're pretty much just hanging out in your bunk and you're reading, but you can only sleep so much. You can only be laying horizontal so much. Um, you know, you go through and start cleaning things on the boat or you can't really cook any fancy stuff because the boat's still getting rocked around. Um, yeah, it's, it gets, it gets really boring, uh, after a while because you get so used to it and you, you have the wind noise and all that. I don't know. It's, when when you go over to you you definitely need the patience. That's that's the name of the game at that point, especially if it's for a long time. If it's just for a short time, it can be a, a very nice little break from the norm. But when it is a long one, holy cow, that one it can take it out of you, that's for sure. And it did on that trip. Um and plus, you know, I had all this I had all this great food. It was supposed to be such a nice uh I was hoping for such a nice little voyage. <laughs> and I had packed the freezer full of, you know, turkey and ham and bacon and all sorts of stuff. And I had malfunctions with the fridge and it was getting uh, it was all, it was all messed up and I remember it cutting out and everything thawed out and I'm sitting out there hove to and just so mad that, that all this delicious food might go to waste. And then I was able to sort of get it running again and, oh man, but in any event, yeah. So I, to really, to really get into Steven's, uh, few questions, uh, what are you actually doing? With the boat in the times, the tumultuous times, and are you riding with the waves or riding out? And it's during those times. And what is your mindset? Okay, the mindset. Well, I think we just went over that. I'm bored. <laughs> I want to actually be making miles. Uh, but no, yeah, typically going to be going to be heading sort of into the wind. And it's I I would almost say that my version of Hove Two on Sparrow is is a mixture between going traditional Hove Two and four reaching. So I'm actually going into it. I'm making a little bit of way forward, uh, not much, but that's that's essentially it. Um, and there are, I do want to say, there are variations to this, and it's going to depend on the boat, the keel, everything, the sail plan. You you always, always, always have to know the boat that you're on, whether it's a delivery or if it's your own boat, you know, you test it out, test it out in lighter winds, test it out in medium winds, and then test it out in heavy winds. And that is the absolute best. There's nothing, nothing worse than finding yourself in a really bad situation. A sudden storm comes up and gets really bad. And then all of a sudden you're essentially, well, now you've got to try it out for the first time and you're bumbling around. You don't want to be doing that. You always want to test that stuff out and see how your boat reacts and, and tweak it and play with it and work with it and, you know, see what you come up with. Um, but I've found, at least for, for my old Sparrow, the old 
Uh, heavy displacement, full keel boat. She she likes that uh, back-winded jib, main she did in, and uh, tiller over to leeward. So definitely seems to work. As far as the mindset, yeah, it really is. Uh, it's an excitement in the beginning. There's There's definitely a feeling of accomplishment when the boat settles finally. You've got it fine-tuned. It's riding the seas really well. They're not, it's not slamming. The healing isn't excessive, but the pressure is good. The boat's not rolling. That's when you know you're really dialed in and you'll definitely feel some good accomplishment there. And, you know, that usually leads to a nice little bit of sleep, maybe a meal sort of stuff. But then it definitely gets old pretty quick because, you know, at least for me, whenever, whenever I'm sitting and floating and I'm not moving, making miles, that's when I get a little frustrated and uh, that's when the mental sort of games go, but it all comes down to patience. It's all about patience and just knowing that eventually those winds are going to change and you'll be on your merry way, but you just got to last through it and try not to drink all the beers and eat all the food and eat all the candy bars or whatever treats you have, because once you get out of it, that's when you're going to actually want those things because they're going to be even that much better if you wait. So I want to just thank Steven for that. That's pretty cool. I love I love questions like that where I can sort of get really into them and involved and stuff. Um, I guess the, the last thing I would say about going Hope 2, once you have practiced it a few times and you get, you get pretty competent with it, uh, one of the nice parts is that it's something that you can accomplish very quickly as far as a maneuver of like, holy cow, we've had a serious problem, something is broken, or the winds just went insane, boom, let's go hove to, and then we'll be able to sort this thing out, and then maybe go on our merry way after that, and so it's, uh, you know, compared to, I, and again, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to really speak on it, because I don't know, but I, I, from what I've read, deploying a drogue and all that sort of stuff takes a little bit of time, um, and again, depending, some boats are, are way better well-equipped for being able to deploy one of those quickly. And I'm sure just like going Hove 2, if you've practiced it, um, it can go pretty pretty fast. So, But I don't know, there's something about if, uh, if I'm in some pretty ugly weather and I'm, you know, maybe I'm reaching or I'm even broad reaching under Storm Jib and Triple Reef Main, if I'm like, all right, whoa, I need to just settle and uh i'm done i'm i'm cashed out i need to sleep or something like that the fact that i know i can either jibe or possibly tack and just keep that storm jib sheeted hard and and then uh settle the boat down and go hove to and then just go collapse you know a minute or two later that's i i like that i like that idea and uh i think it's definitely a valuable resource on the boat for sure but yeah, so thank you, Stephen, for for that email. And if anybody else wants to ever write into the show, obviously go over to sailingintooblivion.com and uh, click on the old podcast side and changed up the button trying to get a little tech savvy. <laughs> it's, it's big, it's red, it says contact the show. And you can just write to me. And uh, I definitely read them. I'm definitely getting a lot of them these days and trying to keep up. And yeah, I enjoy. I love Love getting that feedback because it's, I don't know, it's basically a prod to to keep going and keep making more stuff and, and get more people on here and everything. So 
Very, very cool. But now, uh, it's it's the darkness. I'm in the I'm in kind of a I guess I don't know like a a pretty thick forest out here. Uh, the field is maybe fifty to a hundred feet away, and so out there it looks like still like daylight, but in the woods it's dark, like dark, dark. There's still a little color in the sky through the trees, but not much. So it's very very beautiful. Uh, I definitely like it. No mosquitoes, really, to speak of, which is awesome. Last year they were pretty bad, but this year they are non-existent, which I really like. But I'm going to go. After I finish up with this, I've got a few little of those lawn, lawn light, garden light thingies to go plug in on the path. This path winds its way up here. And uh, as much as I would love to have a fire, I know. I know my body. And uh, when it wants a good night's sleep uh, in exchange for a night of, you know, many beers and staying up late, it wants that, and I want to obey. I am not 22 years old anymore, and uh, pushing that limit these days is just not a not a good idea. I want to make sure I stay healthy, wealthy, well, healthy, wealthy. Yeah, I'm wealthy. I'm wealthy in friendships, which is all the wealth that really counts, <laughs> uh, and wise. And uh, so that's why I made the decision to bow out of this evening's festivities, but... Ah, holy smokes. It does, it is, it is crazy to be back here. Like I said in the, in the beginning of the podcast, it's sort of sweet and sour because when I, when I plotted and planned this place out and I thought about it probably every day, at least for a little bit while I was trying to draw out the plans while I'm out in the Southern Ocean, all that sort of stuff. When I finally did make it here, I felt, 100% like I had earned every last little wood chip, every last little bonfire, and every tiki torch. Um, But since then, I've come back here for little chunks of each summer and set everything up. And while it does still feel good, it'll never feel quite as as earned as it did that, uh, that summer because I still... I. That's that's probably the only time it brought me to tears. Uh, tiny little tears, but little tears all the while. And I remember lighting the... After I had set everything up, built these platforms, took a couple days, and I lit my first bonfire out here. The new wood chips were there, and it was just me. Didn't have the beard anymore, any of that stuff. Been on land for probably two weeks at that point. And I just laid down on the earth... Just flat on my back, looking up through through the trees, smoke rising up through the through the leaves, and crackling fire next to me, and just oh man, it felt so good. I just remember saying, "I finally made it. I actually made it." And uh, I don't know. It was it was one of those things. It's like one of those lessons where. You just, when you earn something, you when you have to work really hard and go through all sorts of adversity and all that sort of stuff to actually get to some sort of goal that you have set, no matter how big or small, when you earn that, man, it makes it feel so good. When it's just given to you, when for whatever reason, luck or the universe just dumps something on you, 
It's nice, and hey, I'll take it for sure. But ain't there something about that when you earn it, when you fight your way into something and you just never back down and go through it and punch your way and punch your way and punch your way and all of a sudden you finally break through that wall and the goal is yours and you reach it. Holy smokes, that feels good. That's the stuff that life is all about, I think. Man, it really is. And it's a pain. I mean... it's it's so strange because so many times I think to myself, man, you know, I'd love to just catch a break here. I'd love to catch a break. I'd love to, I'd love to have something just handed to me and fall into my lap. But you know, I'm, I'm never going to actually, I'm never going to appreciate that the way that I would appreciate something that I work as hard as possible to get through and just push, push, push and never back down. And then you finally make it to it and you earn it. And that's just, I don't know, it's been a fact in my life that for whatever reason, I still catch myself saying, man, you know, I wish it'd be so nice if uh, all of a sudden I just like tripped over a big bar of gold. (laughs) And it's like... Yeah, that would be great. That would be freaking great. But uh, wouldn't it be even better if uh, somehow you dove into math calculations like a alchemist and poured over them for 75 years finally to solve the riddle and turn lead to gold? How good would that gold feel? <laughs> That's such a ridiculous comparison. Oh, man. I'm, I'm sort of loopy. I'm that exhausted. Ah, but I'm looking out on these woods. I'm feeling pretty good. That bed is calling my name. Ah, this is just so nice. So nice. And I I think, you know, I think in the end, I just wanted to share it with everybody. (laughs) Share it, but in a uh, quiet way where nobody can talk back to me, at least for uh, a little while until... Somebody emails me <laughs> saying, that's not how I go off to. <laughs> uh, that'd be funny. Oh, uh, man. Well, other than that, I think I'm going to uh, cut this one off before the old the old hour and everything. Maybe I'll add something on tomorrow. I'm not going to wander down to upload this where there's Wi-Fi and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I'm just going to call it a night tonight, but we will definitely uh, have old Svenny on the show and maybe somebody else tomorrow. We'll see. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious. I'm looking forward to it. I know Sven is as well, and it's going to be pretty fun. So before I go, as I always have to say, if you want to support the podcast, like so many fine, fine examples of humankind have done and are doing, and I appreciate them heavily and they are, uh, absolutely the best you can head over to patreon sailing into oblivion put the link in the description and uh, thank you once again to everybody else for listening ah the more i think about it the more i like this show i just uh i enjoy doing it and the fact that uh, people seem to enjoy me doing it then uh, that makes me happy so thank you all very much i hope you have a wonderful week and uh we'll talk soon thanks for listening